If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to Acts chapter 14, verse 19 through 23 this morning. all of you a happy new year. Uh, Hopefully you also had a wonderful Christmas uh, celebration uh, season as well. Uh, It is always nice to just kind of start off the new year, and and, uh, I know that um, uh, this is being the first Sunday of our year. uh, It's just good to start off with being here with all of you, and may 2015 just continue to bring more blessings, and that the, uh, the Lord would shower upon our lives because of Christ, because of Christ. I look forward to this year of 2015. I'm still kind of excited about the truth of the new covenant. Uh, I don't know. I can't about you. Uh, You ever get excited about truth and just kind of like, yes, you know. That's that's an awesome truth. I'm just overwhelmed by this new covenant thought. How it cannot be broken. I, I'm sorry, it just exudes. It's overwhelming me, to tell, tell you the truth right now. Um, covenant that cannot be broken, you know. We're gonna all, you know, you may have made some, made some resolutions this year, and I, you know, made some desires, resolutions as well, and I'm pretty sure they'll probably be broken. Uh, but I'm just overwhelmed by this new covenant, this salvation that God provides for us, cannot be broken. Praise God. Praise Jesus Christ. Man. Wonderful truths. Let's, let's look to the Word of God this morning. Acts 14, verse 19 to 23. We read, in, uh, read along. Uh, I'll read the New York Standard Version. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for this church. We thank you and praise you that you give us a purpose, a mission to fulfill in this world. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us and provided for us the message and the methods recorded for us in your word. And Lord, we pray and ask that as we re-examine our mission, our purpose this morning as a church, may you cause us to renew our commitment to obediently fulfill the great commission that you have called us to, that you've saved us for, that your name might be glorified. Lord, we ask that your spirit would teach us now. 
We thank you for your spirit that you place within our hearts. And as we hear and read and study your word, may you, call, may you ch teach, challenge, convict, and change us through your word. Cause us to grow through your word this year. In Jesus' name, amen. In college, many of you are still in college, in fact, the, you took several courses, and you know, if you want to get an easy A, you would take these kind of courses, right? Those 101 courses, am I not correct? Well, okay, well, at least I did, I thought. You know, Psych 101, you know, you take English 101, uh, Anthropology 101, you know, those basic courses, those courses that were designed to basically just introduce us to the basic elementary principles of a given field. They are, and though they were easy, well, okay, hopefully they're easy A's for all of us, but it's okay if it's not, that they were kind of basic courses, they were essential courses. In fact, you had to understand the essentials, of, you had to take the 101 courses before you could sort of go on and take the, the next class, the 102s, the 111s, the 201s, 301s, 401s, etc. of those courses. And so today I kind of want to begin a series, a class, a course, if you will. You say, oh, man, I thought I'm out of college, but no, uh, you're in college here today. We're going to take a Church 101 class this month, in fact. And I want to cover for us this month some basic essential principles about church, about church. And, and you get to be all registered. You don't have to call in. You know, just show up, and you're, you get in this class. It's wonderful. It's audit, by the way, uh, so uh, it's all good. It's all good. But as we start over this year, then, I just want to cover the subject of Church 101. And I know it's, it will be a refresher for many of you, many of you that have been here a long time, in, in a church in a long time. It will be a refresher, and that's okay. Uh, it's, it's good to be refreshed. We love the basics. The essentials never get old, uh, I think, for, even for us as Christians, because it's like, does the gospel get old for us? No, no it doesn't. It's like, oh, that's the most important truth in the world. And so as we cover Church 101, we're going to ask a couple of questions. What is the church's mission or purpose? How does the church go about fulfilling this purpose? What, does a what makes a church effective in fulfilling its purpose? And what does this all look like practically? Okay. Uh, just as an objective of our course, here's what I'd like us to walk away from by the end of our month. And yet end of each, even end of each Sunday morning, I hope we can walk away with an objective accomplished. And that is that we would know, all of us, each and every one of us, would know the answer to the questions that we just asked, that we're going to ask. And by the grace of God, may we apply this knowledge to our life. You know, uh, you ever go to, some colleges are all theory, some colleges are practical. You know, I went to one of those theory colleges. And, you know, you really kind of, what is all this theory so useful for? Well, it's really of no use unless you apply it. But you've got to apply it. You know, you can be taught what to do, but... It's better if you can be taught, taught the theory and then have the wisdom and the knowledge to, and the will to apply it. So we're going, that's what we want to do with our understanding of Church 101 uh, this month. Uh, so today's subject then of our class, for all you taking notes, is what is the church's mission or purpose? So we're going to, take, to answer this question today, what is the church's mission or purpose? 
I'll use them interchangeably, both, uh, both phrases. Okay, I, now, as you might guess from our title, the answer is simple. Okay? Here's the answer. Here's the short answer. Disciple making. Okay? Cliff Notes version. The church's mission or purpose is disciple making. Okay? So if I asked you, someone Casey would come up and ask you, uh, I put it on the quiz at the end of the month, what is the church's mission or purpose? You will say disciple making. Okay, that's the short answer. And so we'll take the long answer, uh, an, essay, an essay answer with the rest of our time this morning then. Okay, how do we... This, disciple, this purpose of disciple-making, of course, comes from, is found in the Great Commission, right? It's given to us by Jesus Christ. If, you're in, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know you've heard about the Great Commission. We've all heard it. Jesus Christ commanded and gave his apostles, his disciples, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, he tells them. So in that process, he begins this, this continuing process throughout church history of believers making disciples who then in turn make other disciples all the way down to our day where people have helped us become disciples, and now we are in this process of making disciples. Imagine being part of a sports team, and no one on the team, you know, kind of knows or agrees, you know, we all get together, we're all, we all say, hey, let's all wear the uniform. We say, we're all part of the SF Bible sports team. But when we get together, none of us can agree what sport we're playing. So, no, hey, man, we're playing baseball. No, no, we're playing football today. No, man, it's basketball because the Warriors rock, right? You know, that's, we would all disagree. If we, if we came and we disagreed about what sport we're playing as a team, we would not be in a very effective team, Right? Same thing, if you just take, take that illustration and apply it to church. We all come together, we're all church, we all got our church clothes on, we're all on the same church team, and then we'll come and we say, hey, what are we going to do, what are we, we going to, quote, unquote, play today? What's, what are we about? And some say, well, no, hey, we're about worship. The others can say, no, we're about evangelism. Others will say, we're about love. You know, if we're, we have different answers to our mission and our purpose, then we will not be as effective as a church. And so we, it's important for us to know our mission and our purpose. Uh, I, you know, boy, I hate mission statements as a kind of, because uh, when I worked briefly in the corporate kind of wor- world, um, you know, they, they always make you memorize the mission statement. And I get it. I know it's effective that way. And it, it does help. And, uh, but, and, and so I've always resisted kind of pla- plastering our mission statement. Uh, we sort of have uh, up there. But the church does have a mission statement. You can't go about deny that every church has a mission statement. And it's important, and it's true that a successful church is a church that's going to know what is our mission statement, what is our purpose. And so our mission, our purpose as a church is disciple-making. Okay? Now you can flesh that out. We understand. And we can make it into a long sentence, and we can draw, make a nice chart with, you know, we had in my days, it was pie charts, you know, pie charts. So, no, we're not going to do that. But uh, so as we think about disciple-making, though, if disciple-making is the purpose of the church, many of you who were here last week, you remember what I, we talked about first things last? We talked about love, right? We talked about how the priority, the most important commandment is to love God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we think about it, well, I just said, well, our purpose is to make disciples, how does that kind of 
work? Or how does that fit with this command that we understand, or the greatest commandment is that we are to love? Well, I'd, I'd take this, and I understand it this way. I would like to simply differentiate between the purpose of a Christian, which is to love God, to love his neighbor as yourself. To, in other words, that it's just worship God, to glorify God. To, I, I, I was thinking of the, hearing in the scripture reading or the our, our, um, opening prayer, just the reading from John 17 about how we exist to glorify God's name. We glorify God's name. That's another way it's just making him known, to love him. Seeking God, the seeking to love God, the best way that we can love God is to glorify his name. Now, as a church, though, when we gather together as a group of Christians, our, what is our purpose that we gather together for. It's when we gather together as a church, as this body of believers, then our purpose then becomes to make disciples as an outflow of our love for God and, might I add, also our love for our neighbors. So the purpose then of the church is to make disciples. Let's move on. As we look, so we will, and we will not only see that in, we have seen that in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, which I preached before, uh, a couple years back. But today I want to preach on a different subject, or a different passage, I'm sorry. Acts 14, verse 19 to 23. And it teaches us this very same principle of disciple making. The context of our passage that we're looking at is it takes place during Paul's first missionary journey. And I'm sorry, that map doesn't show up very well there. Uh, but it kind of just shows you, uh, it looks better on screen. Uh, on this screen. But anyways, uh, how they, Paul started off in Antioch and then kind of goes, goes this, this route to the island of Cyprus and Salamis and Paphos. And then he go, crosses, goes north, enters into Asia Minor there and goes to Perga, Antioch, Icona Derby, uh, Alistra Derby. And then kind of comes back the exact same way that he went. Uh, but we, as we read in the scripture reading, verse 19 and 20 kind of set for us the stage that Wherever Paul and Barnabas traveled, they faced opposition. In fact, verse 19 of chapter 14 tells us that Paul was actually stoned. They threw rocks at him. You know, they, they stoned him, and, they, and the people basically left him for dead. They thought he was dead. But we read, we read then in verse 20 how he, basically Paul just got up. He was stoned by the, the people that were in Lystra, and then it tells us he got up went back into the city of Lystra. You'd think he would say, well, I'm going to stay out of that city because those people want to kill me. Um, but he walks back back in, and then the ne- he stays there overnight or over next until the next day, and then he travels to Derby, the next town. Our focus will be on verse 21 and 23 today, but you can't miss the, just this illustration, this, the, the, the fact of Paul's commitment to the mission that they have to make disciples in face of opposition, that he goes back not just to Lystra, where he was stoned, but he goes back to Iconium, to Antioch, places where he, each and every place, faced opposition. He was not afraid to go back to the places because his, and it shows that his ministry, his purpose, his mission was a priority. It was important enough that he was willing to even risk his life for What is this ministry, this ministry of Paul's? Paul's ministry is the same as our ministry, to make disciples. And we look at four activities in this passage today of Paul's mission ministry that is going to remind us, for us, 
of, as a church, as a Bible, of the priority of disciple-making as well. So let's look at this, these four uh, activities that Paul does in this passage, and I hope it'll sound similar to you. It should, because it's basically the same principles that we, we see in effect in the Great Commission as well, except for the last, but it, you'll get it as when we t- cover the last one. All right, first of all, the first activity that we observe here in our passage is we find, number one, the preaching of the gospel, right? We see in Acts 14, verse 21, the preaching of the gospel. Part of making disciples involves preaching the gospel. The next day, we read, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. So uh, remember the map? They kind of Lystra and Derby are nearby. So he travels a little bit away to the city of Derby after they had preached the gospel to that city. So they preached the gospel in the city. I don't know where they, they, they go into the marketplace. They went to the synagogues. Uh, that was the pattern in other church cities. So that's very likely what they did here as well. But they preached the gospel. From this Greek word uh, that we get preaching the gospel, we get our English word evangelize, right? Evangelize. It is the, to evangelize is to tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas evangelized throughout the cities that he ministered in. in that, earlier in Acts 13, verse 32, Paul explained to the Jews of, in Pisidian Antioch, he says, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. And even when in that same city, when they began to contradict the gospel, Paul and Barnabas then turned and started preaching the same gospel to the Gentiles as well, according to Acts 13, 46. When opposition then arose from Gentiles and Jews, Paul and Barnabas fled to the next town. They fled to Lystra and Derbe. And according to chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, we read that after fleeing to Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region, they continued to preach the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas' ministry, wherever they went, was to preach the gospel. See, an essential part of disciple-making is the preaching of the gospel, right? It's important for us. We need to proclaim the gospel, or to tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ. We understand that's very fundamental. We, every church, uh, we hear that repeated often, and we're called to it. It's important, to, uh, it's important because it is necessary for people to be saved, the preaching of the gospel. Romans 10, 14, Paul writes there, How then will they call on him, that is Jesus, in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Someone who preached the gospel. You know, imagine if we got on a basketball team. I'm thinking about a lot of sports recently. I don't know why. But imagine if we got on a basketball team and we all uh, decided to play together, right? We got uh, uh, 11 other guys, but, you know, five people playing at a time. And, of course, the basketball, the goal is what? To score more points than the other team, okay, by putting the ball in, in the basket. But what if we got together a team, we got all dressed up in our uniforms, got, you know, our our shoes on, our Jordans. Uh, and then we got one on the court and the other team's playing. And then nobody on our team ever shot the ball. That would be weird, right? we all like, oh, man, we're good dribbling. We pass it around. Yeah, you know, and so we kind of like, we play a little defense, you know. But we never shot the ball. Would we ever win? No way, right? You can't win. You can't win if you don't shoot the ball. Okay, you might miss. Okay, that's the given. You, you sometimes miss, but we got to shoot the ball. That's so important. That's a great. I love this illustration, by the way. 
See, no matter how good our defense is even, you know, you got Gary Payton, the glove. Yes, glove? Who's that? Anyways, Gary Payton, look it up. I Google it. You got that. They've got some really good defense. We would never, and the fact is, if we never shoot, we would never score, and eventually we will lose the game. See, just like in basketball, for for in the making disciples, we need to shoot the ball. We need to preach the gospel, right? Because when we preach the gospel, yeah, sometimes we miss. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that. That's, that's messed up stuff. I, you believe in that myth? No. Sometimes they get that, yes, rejected, right? Man, oh, in your face, posterized. <laughs> but sometimes when you shoot, you score. Sometimes you hit that three-pointer. Someone comes with same faith in Jesus Christ, and you're like, whoa, how'd that happen? Because the gospel was preached. He shot the ball. Now, I like to say this. Preaching the gospel is an essential part of disciple making. But preaching the gospel doesn't mean we all have to go out into the world to be missionaries like Paul and Barnabas. See, I want to make sure that we understand that we don't, this doesn't mean, therefore, i got to be a missionary now. We have to be exactly like what Paul's doing here. Because Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, speaks of how each of us has a measure of the sphere of ministry. That, that word is really stuck in my mind. I, I love it. I preached 2 Corinthians a couple years back, uh, many years back. But it reminds us, it's this picture of how we each kind of have a circle that we have people that we influence, people in our lives that God puts in our lives. Some of us have small circles, small spheres, family, friends, maybe close friends, a co- few coworkers. Some of us are, I call, gifted evangelists. Even in this body, people like our beloved Pastor Sen Wong, people who have kind of larger spheres, their lives influence more people. And then there are missionaries that we send out into whole other nations, cross cultures, who impact nations, essentially, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel means we, need to, we need, don't need to preach the gospel to everyone in this world it's impossible for each and every one of us to go out to every single person on the street and say, oh, there's a person. I just see someone over there. i got to go preach the gospel to them. Well, maybe. But it doesn't mean that you have to go preach the gospel to every single person. But God has given a portion to each of us of sphere, of people that are in our lives. He brings a cross, and he leads us sometimes. And sometimes you just kind of say, yeah, this is the person I want to share the gospel with. Those are people whom we need to share the gospel with, preach the gospel to. Now, just like a basketball team, okay, there's this. not all of us are gifted evangelism, though, are we? When you talk about evangelism, preaching the gospel, it causes fear in our hearts, and I understand it. I feel it, too, at times. And some of us here are gifted evangelists, and praise God for those of you that are gifted evangelists. I love having the gifted evangelists among us. You guys are great examples to us. You encourage us, those of us that are not. But others of us are not gifted evangelists, and that's okay. You're gifted in other areas. And so in practice as a church, this is important as a practice. Why I say this is because while some are gifted evangelists, in practice, we, need to, we do learn to work with our gifted evangelists, don't we? We kind of know. You know who are the gifted evangelists are among us. You kind of hang around with us long enough. And so it's why sometimes as we come, you bring a guest or visitor to church, and sometimes you think it's me. And so you immediately bring them to me and say, hey, Pastor Henry, come meet you know, my friend. But, you know, if you're wise, you say, you want you go find your peers that are gifted evangelists and say, hey, hey, meet so-and-so. 
Hey, 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 meet so-and-so, you know. And I, I got some names in my mind, but I don't want to names on. But you know who they are. You get, feel connected, especially with other advantages or gift advantages. And that kind of helps, right? So that's why sometimes we have Christmas outreaches and big events, because we bring in someone or our pastors who are called to do the work of evangelists. We, we proclaim the gospel. That's what we do. And that's part of what we do. But at the same time, having said this, we... It's practical to do this. Sometimes God calls on you to tell the good news, though, right? This is important. This is, we want to walk away with this. Sometimes God calls you to, walk, to tell the good news. Sometimes God has put that person in your sphere and your sphere alone to tell the good news of. The friend or coworker who's going through a divorce, your relative who is laying there dying, on her deathbed, your child, who just at that moment at night asked you about death, that's when it's time for you to shoot the ball. You're open, right? Basketball, who shoots? Not the, not hero ball. The guy who's open, right? The guy who's open, the open man is supposed to take the shot in basketball. That's how it works basketball, leaves. You take the highest percentage shot. And sometimes you're the guy, you're the gal who's open, and you're called to take the shot, to proclaim the gospel. Yes, it's, it's sometimes you can't be rejected. You could miss. It may not result in what you think, but God has put you there to proclaim the gospel. God has put us here to proclaim the gospel. And that's number one part of making disciples. And it's an essential part of making disciples. But it's not all that making disciples is about. Let's take a look at our second point then. Point number two, we find that Paul not only here preaches the gospel in his ministry, but he, we read in verse 21 that he made many disciples. Verse 21, after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, continues. See, here's our key verb. Of, this is the same verb that's, from, that's found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. Make Disciples. It's kind of actually just as a sort of interesting note, making disciples is found in this, in, in this definition. After the Great Commission, Matthew 28, this is the only place in the New Testament, only place, not, in none of Paul's epistles, none of the general epistles, none of Revelation, no Acts, or, well, Acts isn't here. But after the Great Commission, this is the only place that this word actually shows up. It's kind of odd. You would think that this word would continue throughout, uh, throughout the, uh, the church literature or the church writings. But making disciples is used only here with this other time. But yet, though we don't find it here the only time, what it means is its meaning and its implications are found throughout the New Testament as we'll talk about what does this word mean? What does it mean to make disciples? Well, first of all, what is, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a disciple, right? What's a disciple? Who is a disciple? A disciple in those days is meant a, someone who is a learner, a student, or a follower. If you were a disciple of someone, that meant you were their student. You followed after them. Wherever they went, you would follow them, and then you would learn from them. And so to make disciples, this word of making disciples is simply then to make students, to make learners, to make followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, we find uh, we can also learn about this word disciple from Acts 11.26. In Acts 11.26, the word disciples were actually eventually called Christians. So 
In effect, then, a disciple is equals a Christian equals or is a follower of Christ. A disciple is a Christian is a follower of Christ. These three terms are all used. And so to make disciples is to make a Christian. To make a Christian is to make a follower of Christ. This is very important to understand this, this kind of equation. Uh, I was a comp sci guy, so I, I like equations. They're very useful to, to, for me. And the two common errors, though, take place in the church. Two common errors that we've fallen into, I've fallen into at times. First of all, common error number one is this, is that believe is that of believing that a disciple is someone who is more is a more devoted kind of christian a more devoted class of christian i.e disciple greater than christian okay so a disciple well you might put disciple equals follower of christ is greater than christian okay and that's okay that's that's the formula this this is an error this is a common error that somehow one can become a christian first and then become a disciple later. I actually was taught this at some point in my life, and I actually thought, I thought, oh, that makes sense. Because you read, and I, we understand why people hold this, because when you read some of the disciple passages that Jesus says, it says, these are hard sayings. When Jesus talks about what it means to be a disciple, we think, oh, disciples got to, has to be someone greater than a, just a regular average Joe Christian. See, in this two-class system, a Christian is just simply one who has believed in Christ as their Lord and Savior, maybe. But a disciple is then one who has committed his or her life to Christ, that has submitted to Christ. This two-class system of Christianity is not taught in the Scriptures, though. I want to talk to you about a second common error of what it, that we fall into. Common error number two is this. That is of believing that a disciple is simply a person who has believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's simply as someone who has believed in Jesus Christ. They just believed in the gospel. They placed their faith in Christ. So therefore, a disciple equals Christian because they believed, but not equal a follower of Christ. It does, a disciple does not equal follower of Christ. It doesn't mean you have to you know, live your life in that you know, uh, obedience and following after him. Uh, that's this common error number two. And this comes from a, basically an an inadequate understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And what happens because of this is that disciple-making essentially just, for most people, just becomes evangelizing. Because what's most important is that a disciple is a Christian, so therefore just preach the gospel. And then once they believe the gospel, they're Christians. We don't worry about the following Christ part. Sharing the gospel, seeing someone make a profession of faith, that then becomes the, the purpose of the church. And this is not bad. This is good. And especially those of us who are evangelists, we love this. It sounds great. It sounds wonderful. It sounds almost biblical, in fact. But while a person making a profession of faith is something is great, there's no doubt about it. I, I do not deny that. Okay? People coming to faith in Jesus Christ is the best thing. In fact, it's celebrated in heaven, right? It's celebrating him. Very exciting. It's, so it should be exciting to us. But this doesn't mean that all we need to do to make disciples is just to evangelize alone. Because we observe from this text, verse 22, this, uh, verse 22 here, or verse 21, that while disciple-making involves evangelism to begin, it is more than just evangelism. Disciple-making also involves teaching one 
to be a follower of Christ. It's part of this great commission where Jesus says, remember the great commission? Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, well, just go there for make disciples, baptize in them in the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. What else does he say? He says, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. That's everything that Jesus taught. See, the result of both of these errors, error, common error, number one, common error, number two, is that we, at best, this is what happens. We end up with a lot of immature Christians. It's like Billy Graham crusades, right? Those are one of, I mean, Billy Graham did a, accomplished much, greater than, you know, evangelists, the, you know, think about the D.L. Moody's as well. They accomplished a lot. They, they preached the gospel. And, you know, many people did get, get saved. But there were a lot of people uh, who never then, who might have believed, and they thought, oh, I've believed, and I've I got my salvation. But they never developed in their faith in Christ. They never got plugged into the church. But at worst, at worst, what happens is when we leave out the, the teaching part, the, the, making, the importance of making followers of Christ, is that we end up having too many people who think that they're Christians because they prayed the prayer, they walked up the aisle, but they're really not because they've forgotten this very important part of what it means to be a Christian. What does Jesus calls Christians to be? Followers of Christ. Christ confessing him as Lord. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, words like this, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to carry your own cross? It means to suffer. Come after me means to follow after him, to follow after his teachings. You cannot be my disciple. You're not willing to suffer for the sake of following after Christ's commands. He says, you cannot be my disciple, Jesus says. Jesus would repeat the statement throughout his ministry, and a bunch of cross-references there. See, making disciples is making followers of Christ. It involves both evangelism and the edification of the saints, the teaching or the building up of the saints. Making disciples does not end when a person professes faith in Christ, but it ends when a person is complete or mature in Christ, Colossians 1.29. We're gonna, that'll be our next week's passage. Again, let me, if I could give you another illustration, a basketball team illustration. Suppose we had a basketball team and everyone wants to score, right? Everyone wants to score. Uh, and that happens a lot in basketball teams. Everybody wants to shoot the ball. Uh, it's usually that's how it goes. But nobody wants to play defense. Uh, does that kind of team generally win the games? No, 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 not at all, right? We know that generally people who don't play defense will be outscored by the, uh, generally by the other team. Uh, so you got to play both offense and defense to accomplish the goal of winning the game. In fact, the more important and the less glorious part of basketball is to play defense. That's why people don't like to do it. You know, it's like it's hard work. It takes a lot of effort to play defense. You see, the same goes with making disciples. There's kind of an offensive part in to the, and there's a defensive part. It's awesome and it's exciting to share the gospel and see someone come to know faith, in, come to same faith in Jesus Christ. It's glorious. In fact, it's it's praiseworthy. It's kind of to at least to from our eyes. But that's not the end goal, right? That someone would just would only come to faith in Christ. The end goal is Christ likeness. The more important, the less glorious part of disciple-making is then teaching 
these believers, these, those who have professed faith in Christ, how to follow Christ. And this involves much of our work, of our ministry. It involves much of Paul's work in ministry. It's sort of like children. And... I decided just to make this a, a part two class just now as I look at the calendar, uh, our schedule. And I'll end with this, okay? You'll have to come next week for parts uh, three and four uh, of this class. It's like children. And having a child is, boy, uh, uh, it's kind of just opened my, uh, it, it's kind of opened like certain synapses in my brain. So different things are firing. I don't know why. It's, it's something scientific is happening here, but also spiritual, you know what I mean? Parents, parents, you understand, right? Can I get amen, parents? Anyways, somehow having kids change, gives you like this perspective about so many things that God is doing in our world, in the church. It's, it's kind of blows my mind. You know, everybody, well, okay, most parents want to have children. We really want to have children, okay? Now, but we ask ourselves, what's the purpose of having a child? What is the purpose of having a child? Why, did, why do we have baby Kiara, for instance? Is, our, is the purpose of having a child just to bring a child into this world, just to have a child? Is that our purpose? Then we succeeded. Our job is done. We have a child. Okay, now who's, will someone else take her? Do we just leave her on the street? Do we just oh, let's leave her there? We had a child. Yes, we accomplished it. We got the goal. No, it's not, right? That makes no sense. The purpose of having a child is to raise them up to adulthood at the very least, and understanding as Christians, to raise him or her up to be a follower of Christ. But let me just leave at this basic. To raise your child, the purpose of having a child, as parents particularly, is to raise your child into adulthood so they would be a productive member of society, uh, walking with, uh, not only in this world, but walking with the Lord too. That's the purpose, is to raise them up. And all parents understand this. And that's why I think parents make the best disciple makers. If you're a parent, you understand disciple making very well because you've been doing it for a long time. So your older parents, like, you guys know it. That's what you've been doing. You've not only raised your child to adulthood, that's a, that is exactly what you've been, you are doing as Christians. You're raising Christians. You believe in the same faith in Christ, but then you raise them up to become mature adults, mature Christians. It's not only is a great illustration, but it's a great opportunity of what we have as parents to disciple our children. No greater task is ours to make disciples. But this is not just the call of parents, it's the call of all of us. And as we look at our, uh, as we just learned this morning, just a quick (laughs) summary, two points out of four. Mm. It's all those basketball illustrations. (laughs) Number one, Number one, making disciples involves preaching the gospel. We got to do that. That's how, we got to shoot the ball. Shoot the ball. Shoot the ball, you don't score. But you got to play defense. Got to play defense, right? There's another part of making disciples. It's not just evangelism, but it's edification. We're going to see this fleshed out in points three and four next week of what that looks like. Mia, we as a church continue to renew our commitment to Christ to make disciples, not only proclaiming the gospel among those who are God placed in, our sphere of our, in our, the sphere of our lives, 
but let's be a church that also works together to make, to lead these, these believers and followers of Christ into mature believers in Christ, who will then, in, who in turn can make disciples also. Yes. So that the result is the name of Jesus Christ might be glorified. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths that we've looked into just briefly today. And God, we, as we think about making disciples, for some of us, evangelism, preaching the gospel, is the harder task. It causes fear among some of us, Lord. And we pray that you would grant us courage and commitment and love for you, that we would do this, that we would take the shot when we are, you open the door for us, that we would proclaim the gospel to the, our na- friends and neighbors and family that you've brought into our lives. And yet, Lord, in some ways, preaching the gospel is the easiest part. We just simply tell them news, and you're the one who saves, Lord. You bring them to saving knowledge in Christ. And that happens at a moment. The long haul, the labor, the work that's involved in disciple-making takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. It does take a lifetime. As we, as a church, continue to strive not only to be balanced in our evangelism as well as our edification of our saints, Lord, help this church to be faithful in this. Cause it to be a, to be a church that is clear about our mission to make disciples. Father, help us to work together in this endeavor. The evangelists among us, the teachers among us, the, mercy, the merciful among us, the helpful among us, the servants among us, the administrators among us. Lord, may you use all these combinations of our various gifts of this team to bring together the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the name of Christ, your name, might be made known in our world, that you may be glorified because we love you, Lord, because you loved us. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.